families give you the most opportunity to get into enemy mode because they're the closest to you. It's like falling down a hill. Your brain goes downhill into enemy mode extremely easily at the least provocation. And climbing back up the hill is a lot more work. So the question should be whether the family has resources and teaches each other how to get out of enemy mode. And that's where most families uh, get into trouble. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollo's Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. Have you ever had family drama? (laughs) That's a stupid question. I know. Have you ever had an argument (laughs) with your spouse, a fight? Have you ever felt like there is constant stress between you and your spouse or you and your kids? No, never, right? You would never, ever go through that. Well, I mean, of course, we know that we all have every day almost. And it can be really frustrating. You know, for the Christian, it can be actually demoralizing because we know that it shouldn't be that way. We don't want it to be that way, but we keep falling into patterns that we don't like or want, but can't seem to get out of. And the family is often at the very heart of it. You know, it's frustrating to me to hear people talking about the mission of God as if it were something entirely separate from our families, because they're not. I mean, there's a reason why God gave us instructions on how we are to treat our spouses It's because our marriages actually help demonstrate the reality of our faith being lived out. Now, I know that no one is perfect in this. And I know we all have different things that we struggle with and deal with on a daily basis. And it doesn't mean that we can't share the gospel, even if our marriages are struggling. No, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. What I am trying to say, though, is that we often see that our salvation is being worked out in and among our families. And that's why I have invited one of our favorite guests back to the show. It's Jim Wilder. He is back. And we've talked to Jim several times. And last fall, we talked to him about his book, Enemy Mode. Now, today, though, Jim is going to help us with Enemy Mode Marriage and Family Edition. Dun, 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 dun. We're going to do something a bit different than normal. Instead of just me asking about marriage and how it works out in this enemy mode within marriage, I've invited my wife, Melissa, to join the conversation. She is a passionate believer in scripture, loves the Lord, and loves neuroscience, and wants to see every marriage, every family thrive in what God has for them. And together today, we talked to Jim about how to be better at getting out of enemy mode with our spouses and kids. It's one part therapy and one part interview, but I think you're going to find it quite helpful. Let's dive in. Jim Wilder, welcome back to Apollo Swattered Marriage and Family Edition. Great to be with you. This should be fun. (laughs) <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, lively, lively. Uh, well, 
It will be lively and fun. But as you know, we do the fast five. Are you ready for the fast five? Never. Yeah. <laughs> Me okay. either. All right. Here we go about this one. What does a brain scientist do for fun? Like, what's your hobby? I play guitar. Uh, and then I go walking in the mountains, you know, between the fresh air and the birds and playing guitar. It's, uh, you know, nice, uh, nice way to spend a winter evening. Do you, you don't walk through the mountains with your guitar. Like this isn't like Julie Andrews sounded music. Oh, no, no, it's, uh, <laughs> and my fingers get cold out there. None of that. And it would not be in tune. <laughs> yeah, it would not be in tune. Uh, says, my yes, says my musician wife. Says my musician wife. Okay. Here's the second question. Do you ever delight in telling people that you're a brain scientist just to get their reaction? Or have you ever responded to someone that said, it's not brain science. And you say, yeah, actually it is. <laughs> I got to use those. I figure out how to, to, to weave those in, in, in a conversation. No, I, I like to shock people by telling them I'm an ordained minister and that really like, <laughs> that, that, you mean that gets a better, bigger reaction than the yeah, brain? Scientists? it's like, well, I know I can't be myself now, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when I used to tell people, you know, I was a psychologist, they go, well, you, you know, you can read my mind. I said, well, yeah, I'd make better money if I could. So I'll have to try the brain scientist business. <laughs> okay. Question number three. What is one of your most fond memories from when you were a kid? Uh, I loved climbing up in the mango tree and picking the mangoes right off the tree and eating them up there and then throwing the little seeds down at my friends below that didn't know I was up in the tree. <laughs> That's great. That is pretty good. That is pretty good. Okay. Number four, what are you reading for fun right now? The Silmarillion. Uh, Silmarillion, the uh, oh. Tolkien book. Yeah. Wow. It, mm -hmm. You know, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm reading a book right now where they're actually walking through uh, the, the same book. So I, I have never read. Uh, I've never read that of Tolkien. I've read the Lord of the Rings, but never read the Silmarillion. I'm not even sure how to say it. Silmarillion. I never. I love it. Yes. Uh, I, I, it stumbles out of my mouth, too. It's a big, <laughs> long word. It means the book, though. I looked that up. Oh. It's Tolkien's word for the book. So. I read the book about the book. You know, you know, it's it's really funny. There was this clip online um, where it had uh, uh, this. He had submitted a manuscript to this editor, and he used the word dwarves. I don't know if you've seen this. D w a r v e s, and they rejected the manuscript because they said no, it's incorrect. It's supposed to be d w a r f s, dwarves, and that's according to the Oxford English Dictionary. And he responded with. I wrote the Oxford English Dictionary. Don't tell me about what to use. <laughs> Such an amazing, amazing figure. Okay. Oh, sure. Question number five. If you could meet one author and have coffee with him or her, who would it be and why? Um, presume we're talking about living authors. Um, yes. No, yes, no, it can be dead authors. It can be dead authors. Except oh, well, not a biblical character. Can't be a biblical character. No. Well, uh, yeah, at this juncture of our conversation, I think it'd be fascinating to meet Tolkien. He is, you know, uh, almost wouldn't publish the book because you know, he didn't think it was good enough. Uh, so, uh, you know, him, uh, it'd be kind of nice to sit down with, with him and, and uh, you know, his little writing enclave there with C.S. Lewis and the rest. But 
I think I'd find Tolkien the most interesting. I'd want to ask him about uh, some of his uh, lesser known characters, you know, uh, like uh, he was never one to have exact symbolism, but he was thinking these things in the back of his head that just we're still trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Really such a phenomenal, phenomenal mm-hmm. writer and so many different imagery, so much imagery. And yeah, yeah. We could about him all day. But yeah. last time that we met together, we talked about enemy mode in the book enemy mode. Of course, it's, it's, it's gone out there. There are so many people that are reading it. People have been asking me about it. And as I got into this conversation with my wife, not that we've ever been in enemy mode together. Huh. <laughs> uh, no. You mean I'm like sure this morning? Yeah. No. <laughs> so we, we thought we wanted to talk about enemy mode in marriage with and with family. This is my wife's idea. She goes, how does this work in family? And I thought, well, let's talk to the expert on the subject. So, so really though, let's do for a, a sake, for the sake of review, let's talk about the three kinds of enemy mode and then we wanted really to delve into how these three kinds of enemy mode work their way out in a marriage and in a family but can you help review for us and our audience uh what are these three kinds of enemy mode what do they look like well lucky for you i remember what they are uh (laughs) (laughs) all three of them uh uh turn out to be a way in which we're not being relational uh, the one that we notice first is uh, what we call stupid enemy mode. That's the first one I, I, I noticed. And that's all of a sudden you just, you know, get full of some kind of emotion and you stop caring about the other people as the person is thinking. You just want to, uh, you know, kind of blow blow them up. And, you know, somebody get their attention. You say and do something stupid. Then you know, no one had a cell phone and, and recorded that because, that, you know, you didn't. Didn't really want to have anybody else see you, you know, getting that stupid. And so I always thought the editors were going to make me take that word out of the book, you know, like, well, we can't see stupid in a, in a book. And I said, well, that's what everybody says. That <laughs> <I> was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> everybody I ever met, that was what they said about it was, well, that was stupid. Uh, the other, the, the next one is low energy. And it's like when you just don't want to engage with somebody, you look up like, why are you here to bother me? You know, it's like, uh, I mean, sometimes we're just not awake, you know, we haven't had our coffee. Uh, but this is where looking at somebody and sort of like, you know, you're annoying me by being here. It's sort of a, a, a simple sort of enemy mode, like, you know, go away and, and, and stop, you know, getting in my space. Um, Spanish as an, uh, uh, expression you you're here to take away my time you know it's like you know you're, you're wasting my time by your presence and then there's intelligent enemy mode which is actually when i'm figuring out how to make you lose and um uh you know the, we're having a little political thing going up here in the in the rockies right now uh and i'm getting all these notes in the mail and then the emails and stuff like that explaining why the other candidates should lose so that's an intelligent enemy mode we're planning to take somebody out and i have to admit i get into that myself uh with people and often in my family uh because i and the way i notice it is i'm just waiting for them to stop talking so that i can tell them why they're wrong 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it, Jim. Nothing... You ever do that on the podcast, Travis? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk anymore. <laughs> Rarely. Uh, we, Rarely. All get bu- we all get busted on that one. You know, it's like, all right. Um, you know, the, the weird thing about the brain is it always calculates I won by the other person lost. I mean, mm. we just think about it. I don't know if you ever got in any fights or wrestling matches as a kid, but when you had the other person pinned, that's how you knew that you, you'd won. Mm-hmm. And so the brain seems to have that same formula. If you lose, I must have won. Uh, even mm. though I might come out behind, you know, I might mm. have actually be in a worse place than I was before, but the brain's going, yeah, yeah, I won. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. even intelligent enemy mode is sort of stupid in one way. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because... If you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today, because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. I wanted to know, just because of the strong attachments that are hopefully built within a family, is can you get into enemy mode quicker or is it a slower process? Can you refriend like what you talked in the book? Can you actually walk up that hill a little bit faster to refriending? I mean, even as you were just describing the three types, I was automatically seeing different things that have happened in our household with all three types. You know, like we have um, a teenage son. And so just walking into his bedroom as a mom, he's like, why are you interrupting? He's in simple. Why are you here? So actually, I think we should probably better call this conversation, not in family, but with our teenage son, because he has all three of them pretty much 24 hours a day right now. It's like, just pick your enemy mode. (laughs) Yeah, uh, particularly with his parents, uh, less so with his peers. But that's one of the wonderful things about uh, turning 14. Uh, Your brain goes through and takes out a lot of your self-control circuits and then loads you up with uh, over a thousand times more chemicals than your brain has ever seen before. Uh, We call them hormones uh, that irritate the nervous system no end. And so he's running around with an extremely irritable nervous system. And so anytime you, you bump into him, it's sort of like bumping into somebody with a sunburn, whether they mean, you know, you mean to or not, it feels like, you know, why did you just cause me excruciating pain and instability? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just seeing you coming, your brain's a great predictor. It says, oh, here comes the source of my instability once again. 
who are you who troubles Israel and all teenagers, you know? Wow, that's so accurate. <laughs> it is right now, especially. And then, well, even with between between our son and, and us as his parents, but we we have a daughter. I mean, we have two daughters, but our, our younger daughter is also usually in enemy mode with her brother. Um, how does, she's 16. She's 16. Yeah. And so the 16 and the 13-year-old, uh, we call them the middles. They're in the middle. We have four kids. They're in the middle. And those two, if they start at the table, it, it's miserable for all of us <laughs> at that moment in time. Is it different between siblings and gender and, I mean, in a family relationship? I mean, wh- what are all the different factors that that influence enemy mode within a family? And I know that's a huge question that probably takes several different podcasts, but just like a brief overview. Uh, the, the funny thing with families is they're constantly making, shifting and changing alliances. And uh, adolescence is a time when you're trying to define yourself as different than anybody else. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm no longer looking for what I have in common with my family. I'm looking for what makes me different than my family. And one of those is your strategy for uh, dealing with parents, you know, so you get, kids and one of them says well i'm gonna i'm gonna do what my parents want and and that's how i'll deal with them and the other one goes like i'm gonna be so different from them that i'm not going to be anything like them and then you know those two uh you know conflict about their their identification methods and you know one thing about the human being is you're always trying to get everybody else to do things your way because obviously we figured it out and so it must be the smartest way to do it um but to get back to the original question, uh, families give you the most opportunity to get into enemy mode because they're the closest to you. And so you really can't prevent it. Your brain, go- it's like falling down a hill. Your brain goes downhill into enemy mode extremely easily at the least provocation. And climbing back up the hill is a lot more work. So the question should be whether the family has resources and teaches each other how to get out of enemy mode. And that's where most families uh, get into trouble because, well, the American solution since the 1950s has been, we have to talk it through. And so talking it through when you're in enemy mode turns out to be my brain is trying to figure out how to make you lose this discussion. So if you talk it through while you're in enemy mode, you have got dinner at your house with the two uh, middles. if you have let's get out of enemy mode, then we'll talk about it. Now you've got something that the American system doesn't doesn't actually look for, uh, and that is how do we get back to a peaceful, joyful spot? Then we'll have a talk about how uh, you know. Now that we're out of enemy mode, let's talk about uh, you know whatever we need to understand about each other. And so, um, you know, trying to talk things through in enemy mode is what we call having a fight. And, uh, you know, again, it goes down to trying to make the other person lose. And in marriages, you really see this uh, when times to, comes to get a divorce, you know. Mm-hmm. You, I watch one family after another after another lose most of their resources and fi- finances and all the rest of that, paying them the lawyers because they want to make sure the other person loses the divorce fight when it's in nobody's interest to do that. Uh, yeah. So again, here's the brain doing its un, uninstructed thing. So the question then comes down to, 
how do you, how does your family help you to uh, get out of enemy mode? And uh, one of the things we used to say in the men's movement is your best predictor of your relationship with your kid, kids, we'd say to the men, is what your wife says about you when you're not there. <laughs> in other words, she is the interpreter of your motive. She's the interpretive of your mood. She's the interpreter of why is dad irritable today? She's the interpreter of why isn't dad here at your baseball game or whatever it is, you know, uh, and how we are seen by the other members of the family becomes our way of getting out of enemy mode. Oh, uh, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Kids at about uh, four years of old of age figure uh, parents do whatever they want. So I remember one particular case, uh, uh, a father had uh, was going to take his daughter out for ice cream. She was four. And on the way home, uh, he got delayed by a car accident, followed by a shootout. So there's, uh, you know, you know, he's hiding behind the car. So he came home and he tells his four-year-old daughter, sorry, sorry, I didn't get here to take you out for ice cream. You know, uh, I was in a car wreck and, you know, then, then the shooting started and I was hiding behind the car. And to the four-year-old, it's like, why would daddy rather do that than go to ice cream with me? These adults are strange because they do whatever they want, you know, and that's their understanding of how the world works. So you have to interpret that. And, you know, you've probably heard somebody say, you've never said it yourself, I'm sure, but as someone said, you'll understand this when you're older. Uh, you know, you have, you know, you have to keep interpreting as other people grow in their ability to do relationships, how things are actually working. And that's what gets you out of enemy mode when I, you know, uh, you know, you come home and uh, perhaps uh, your wife is annoyed with the children and she might say, well, you take over for a little while. I, you know, I'm going to go out and do something. I mean, it happened at my house anyway. I can't really mm -hmm. speak for the two of you, but that, oh, yeah. gives, that, <laughs> yeah. that gives you a chance to get out of enemy mode. You know, somebody else take over and, you know, and, and usually you say things like, yeah, she's really tired. There's been a lot going on today, you know, like. You guys have really been annoying her a lot, you know. You know, you should probably go and clean that room that you've been told seventeen times to clean, uh, and you will find she won't be so irritable. You know, this is how we 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 have a rescue attachment, which is what we hope in, in families. But to have a rescue attachment, you actually have to be able to stay attached during emotions, and that's what most families have some kind of a breakdown. Well, we do okay when you're sad. But if you get angry, then we don't know how to do rescue attachments. So, you know, so one of the emotions is usually the downfall of, well, we'll we can get out of enemy mode until we hit this one. Um, and there's, you know, there's six that are hardwired in the brain. Uh, so you have to be able to do all six or sooner or later you have one that will keep getting your family stuck. Okay, now I want to know what those emotions <laughs> that have a hard time reattaching. I think I might know, but. And we're trying to get them all back to joy. Yeah. So, do you remember? No. I mean, I remember getting back to joy, but I don't remember what the kids' emotion are because I feel like I'm in enemy mode right now. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not in enemy mode, but I can't, oh, I'm thinking of our kids. The and, sadness, right? Okay. Disgust, anger, shame. What am I missing? Is annoyance one? Because <laughs> that's what I feel like the emotion my son has when I walk in the room. It's anger. It's he's just so like that. Anger is actually a continuum. It's not a uh, 
uh, a single level of it. So very, very low levels of anger usually come out as saying, I'm bored. Uh, you ever mm. heard a child say, I'm bored, and everything irritates them? And it's like, you know, yeah. so, well, how about this? Yeah. That's a very light level. And then at, you know, at the extreme level of anger, you know, you're in a rage. But yeah, uh, so irritable is, I think we've got five so far. The the okay. sixth one is hopeless despair. Oh, yes. So getting out of all of those will bring you back. Well, if staying in them, you'll be in enemy mode, but getting back to joy gets you out. Well, um, yeah, more or less. Basically, if you remember when you're angry, I want to have a good relationship with you, you get yourself out of enemy mode. If you have anybody else in the family who can handle it. So let's say uh, one of us is, is angry. Um, and because uh, that's one of the common ones that people don't know how to handle. So they'll say, well, you know, you know, your brother, let's say, is angry, you know. Well, you know, we want to be on your brother's side and be part of this family together. So let's go find out what's making him angry and see what we can do about it. That attitude towards we've been used to saying anger to solve a problem within the family is enough to get you climbing out of enemy mode. Like, okay, we're going to see if we can work this out together. Here we go. Oh, he's angry. Now, what did you do to make him mad? Let's make sure we don't do that again or, you know, or whatever it is. And we don't use it for a relationship. Uh, we just say, well, let's find out whose fault it is. That's a that's a nice way to stay in enemy mode. Uh, Would that you know, turn the person towards the parent as in enemy mode as well? Usually. Could yeah. it do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if you can think of look, look at somebody and go, wow, they're sad. Maybe we should find out what's going on for them. Uh, then you're on your path out of enemy mode. It's like, well, I don't have to be, you know, upset with them because they're sad. Or if they're afraid, well, I wonder what's scaring them. Let's go find out. I wonder why they're feeling hopeless. You know, let's, well, let's go find out. And uh, That reminds really me of being curiosity. curious. Yes, curious kind of changes it and helps keep you relational. Yeah, curious is an aspect of the highest part of the brain, the uh, prefrontal cortex. And so, you know, your brain is running pretty well if you're curious. Uh, So I use that one in my early determinations on, on something, you know, like as soon as I lose my curiosity, I know I'm starting to get in trouble and my chances of getting into enemy mode are pretty high. That's. That's why we do well, because I'm always more curious about you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm always asking my wife questions and she's like, why are you asking? Because I'm curious. I'm curious because she astounds me. And look at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it never goes the other way. No. Some of us are just more fascinating, I guess. <laughs> um, I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Jim, we need help, Jim. <laughs> I was going to tell my chair back, we need counseling, Jim. I need, I need help. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> right, uh, well, here's the fun thing that we can all be curious about, what I think is the great leveler. And that is, as as Christians, and I presume we can talk about being Christians on this podcast. Oh, yeah, right yes, here. Yes, yeah, We can water that thought, can we? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes uh-huh. Uh, the question is, what's heaven's perspective on this? And Paul is always talking about he wants not to look according to the flesh, not earth eyes, but heaven's eyes, and look at the other person and say, what is actually God doing in your life right now? And what is he doing in my life right now? 
And we, that's never obvious, but it's always the resolution to out of enemy mode. Cause if we, if you and I can't agree on which side to be on, who, whose idea should we back? Uh, everybody who has a sensitivity to God says, well, we should at least be on whatever God's up to in the middle of this. So if we can find what God's perspective is and what he's trying to grow in us, and he often uses hard times and upset things to help us grow a bit. You know, I wish he would give up that habit, but he keeps doing it. That gives us a unified place where we can all be agree. Well, if that's what God is doing, let's get with that plan here. So I might, I might not be happy about it at the moment. You might not be happy about it at the moment. Uh, teenagers might not be happy about it at the moment, but God has our best interests in mind. So if we can get there and we have a family practice, so let's find out what God's growing in each of us today. What is he about? What is he going after? How do the troubles we're having represent the areas in which we need to be growing and stuff like that? And, and teenagers are really into growing as long as we're at that. They, they, you can almost impossible to get them to deal with the past because it's such a fast growing time in life that they just want to know how do, how do I make it work right now? And where, where are we going with this? Uh, so again, that's, it fits with what parents want for children. It fits what children want for themselves. If this is growth this is going somewhere, I, you know, I need to understand how that is and how it works or, you know, what we do next. That's sort of the meeting ground and the better, a family does that saying, okay, well, there's dad's perspective, there's mom's perspective, sister's perspective, brother. Those are all really good. But the one place that we'll all be able to agree is if we can get God's perspective on this. So let's, let's settle into that. And then we can discuss our reactions to God's perspective instead of uh, our reactions to uh, each other. Now, just to make this quite clear, I think we all know this, but when the parents tell you, what God's perspective is, you can be quite sure that the teenagers and above are not going to buy it. So having us tell them what God's perspective is might work when they're four. But when you're a teenager, you have to hear God's perspective for yourself. So teaching people, let's hear God's voice. And that usually means one thing. We have to quiet ourselves down. Uh, Now, when we're in stupid enemy mode or headed that way, the brain is too active. It's got to be quiet. So you have to quiet first. And uh, if you're in intelligent enemy mode, it usually means that you're not quiet inside. You know, you're still, you know, you're uptight about something. You're not connected with God if you're in intelligent enemy mode. So quieting yourself and reconnecting with God. If, if you're in simple enemy mode, you know, the most common reason to be in simple enemy mode is you're tired. And if you just take a moment to go, okay, I'm going to just re- relax again. I'm going to just quiet myself. And then I'll have another look at you and see if I want, <laughs> I want to see your face. You know, once, once we see God's face, uh, you know, quiet ourselves, see God's face. Uh, yeah, I guess he likes her or he likes him or you know, likes you. Okay. So why does God like you? I'm a little, a little curious now. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, it's sort of funny because, you know, as I narrate that, I'm thinking about my kids, my grandkids, you know, my friends. It's like <laughs> internally, like, you know, uh, even in simple enemy mode, like, you know, 
you annoy me by being here. So I stood <laughs> quiet myself and I said, you know, what does God do? Well, God likes them. You know, like, why? <laughs> <laughs> what does he see in them that I don't right now? You know, like, <laughs> I'm trying to grill this hamburger out there. <laughs> they want to know if I want cheese, you know, it's like. <laughs> yeah. As you're describing all of that, I just keep thinking. This takes time. There are in-between moments and having it all resolved at dinner is probably a very difficult thing to achieve. <laughs> well, even even as, um, see, so I've read the book uh, the last time that we, we uh, talked. So I read it last fall and my wife has just been getting into it further and delving into it herself. And she's showing me some of the insights in the book. And she's like, well, look at this, look at this. Do you remember this? And of course I read a lot and I remember aspects of it, but I don't always remember every detail. And she goes, look, you can't get out of enemy mode just by talking in time. And I'm like, this is why when we get into discussions, sometimes at late at night, she wants to talk it out. And she's, she is just, she's a night out more than I am. Even though she's tired, she still finds energy at night and she wants to talk it out. I'm done. My energy is gone by the end of the day. And I'm like, can we talk about it in the morning? And and, and she's like, yes. And then she keeps talking because she wants to resolve it. And I'm like, no, I have to go to sleep or I'm going to stay in enemy mode. And it's going to go from simple to stupid or intelligent because I'm going to be mad in the morning because <laughs> yep. I didn't get enough sleep. Yep. And it's It's learning then to recognize the limitations and also the... Like I'm learning that's what she enjoys, but I, I, and I, and I'll tell her, I can't talk right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not there. Let's try to talk. And I, and I put a time on it. Let's, can we talk tomorrow at 10 a.m. if that's possible? Yeah. And that helps you. Yeah. And then also like reestablishing connection. Like we both said, okay, yes, I love you. I care about you enough that we will talk about this in the morning. And then even as I was reading the book, I was realizing when we, when I want to talk it out, I feel like the whole winning and losing thing I've lost. If you don't understand where I'm coming from and that comes from past stuff in my life. And so I'm like, that's where my win lose thing is taking place. So if you don't understand me, I still have to keep talking until you can understand me. And then I won in this situation. It's very interesting. There's lots of layers. Well, and what I try to do is to show her that I, if I do understand, or at least I, I want to repeat back to her what it is she said. You know, if she said, I'm struggling with this, I'll say, I know you're struggling with this issue. You feel like you've been slighted in this period of time or whatever it might be. And I want to talk about that with you, but can we do it tomorrow morning? And I'm trying to muster all my energy because I don't want to go into stupid enemy mode because if she keeps pushing... I'm going to go into stupid enemy mode because I'm tired. I'm just really tired. And then again, it drifts into smart enemy mode the next day or intelligent right. enemy mode. Cause I'm like, I'm really mad about last night and I'm going to try to get her to know <laughs> that I was mad. Not that I would ever do that. And it usually happens before I have coffee, which puts yeah. me in automatic. <laughs> yeah. I've learned she goes into enemy mode. If we talk about anything serious before 10 AM and she's not been caffeinated or she hasn't had <laughs> sleep the next day. Yeah. But, but it's learning these, these things. I mean, there's all these things that play a part in that to make sure that we don't go into enemy mode. I think the harder part is not only 
it's when our kids go into enemy mode and then we don't, we have different responses to their enemy mode. And then that puts us at enemy mode. Oh yeah. That happens. Yeah. Because with my, with my son, I have a different approach to him than I do my daughters because he's different. The situations, and not only just because he's different, he's the third child. We moved in that period of time. Our, I, I changed jobs and you know, we're in a totally different location. Some years have passed post pandemic. And of course my other daughter, who's the the middle with him, she's reminding us that we parented, we parented her differently and he's allowed to do stuff. She was never allowed to do. And now she's in enemy mode. <laughs> uh, we will certainly point that out. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. and she's very good at it, which is why she wants to be a lawyer. she's studying the inconsistencies so we can take responsibility for helping train her in that because she loves being in enemy mode when it's in a court of law (laughs) (laughs) then the winning and losing is real clear right there in that one so uh Mm -hmm. uh, it uh, certainly is appealing but let me suggest a couple slight redirections there with what with what's going on first of all while i understand talking it through uh, and how that leads to winning and losing. When we're talking it through, we're almost always talking it through from our earth eyes perspective. We're very rarely talking it through from God's perspective. And to talk it through from God's perspective, we actually have to find our best selves. So one of the things that really beset my wife and I uh, was that I was a psychologist. And so When she went to talk things through, I would put on my psychologist hat and mannerisms like, okay, you want to talk things through? Well, let me just facilitate this conversation. And that would just make her mad to to no end because (laughs) she didn't want to be facilitated. You know, it's like, well, what tools do you want me to use anyway? You know, like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) He's like, I have a tool. It's called a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Didn't we just pay $50,000 to train me how to do this? And now you don't want. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> that went over really well. Yeah, yeah, so I'm sure it did. Uh-huh. I think no, pastors but, could do the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But here's the interesting thing. What we found out was that when she re- actually wanted to feel peaceful, she didn't so much want to be understood as the peaceful feeling that comes as a result of being understood. And when I didn't have my peace, have, having her talk to me about why I had taken away her peace didn't result with anybody having peace uh, as an outcome of the conversation. So I would predict if she keeps talking, I'll lose my peace. Uh, And she would predict that if I don't keep talking, I won't get peace. And so now we have a formula that's, you know, bound to get us in trouble one way or another. So what uh, we agreed to uh, was that we really want to work these things out together. And the way we're going to do that is, we're going to connect with God and get our peace back. So our best selves are going to have this conversation, not our most tired, upset, uh, dysfunctional selves having the conversation. So uh, I, I, she, I would say to her, don't, don't try to get your peace from me right now because I, I haven't got my own, so much less some for you. Uh, and I'm not going to try to get my peace from you either, but let's go get some peace from God. And then when we've got our best selves, we're going to work it out together. So on um, nights when I was tired, to follow your example, um, I'd say, let's find, let's do the thing that will help us 
be the most happy to be together tonight uh, so that we can get our peace and from God and work it out tomorrow when I've got my brain back. Uh, and, uh, you know, we found that uh, it's actually an exercise that uh, Chris and Jen Corsi came up. I know that you've had them on your podcast as well, but they called it the three, three and three, where you share with each other three things you appreciate about God from today. Hmm. Uh, three things you appreciate about your day. And then three things you appreciate about each other. You may have to go back to when you were dating on some days, you know, to find something. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, by the time you had done those things, we could actually go to sleep. And even when you're tired, you're thinking, well, I you know, appreciate, you know, these things. Starting with God, he's always got something we appreciate. Our day might be a little more uncertain and each other's the least certain of the whole thing when we're lost our peace. But working that progression. Once your brain starts predicting, you know what, we will get together and solve this problem using our best selves, then it's a very easy to settle in at night and go like, yeah, I want to have your best self. I, I really want this to turn out the best, and I want to find my best self, and, and our best selves are going to work this out. Uh, meanwhile, we'll let God give us some peace until we get there. That idea, we're going again into this, uh, I want to... Paul calls the post-resurrection reality. We're going to live the post-resurrection life now. Uh, and that becomes a practical thing. Your brain predicts, yeah, this is going to work. Mm -hmm. Then then the idea that we can settle in uh, before we worked it out uh, becomes sort of interesting. I can still remember the first night my wife and I looked at each other and go like, yeah, it isn't going to work tonight, is it? And tomorrow it's going to work so good, so let's go to sleep. And, uh, you know, I remember laying back on my pillow going, did that just happen? Is that <laughs> real? You know, are, are we actually happy if we didn't work it out? You know? I love that story because, you know, in scripture, it says don't go to bed angry. And one interpretation could be work it out all night until. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> but you find the peace of God. You find peace with each other just through gratitude and the three, three and three. And you can go to sleep. I had, and the devil doesn't get a foothold. Right, right. I had an old man once in my my uh, second church. I said, yeah, we don't go to bed angry. And he looked at me and he goes, three weeks. And I said, three weeks? He goes, yep, that's the longest we've been awake. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're nuts. <laughs> he just smiled and walked away. Yeah, this way is much better. This way is More much better. One way to to parse a passage isn't there <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right and he he really enjoyed that too i had asked him i said how long have you been married and he goes let's see here he and he they've been married for like i don't know 55 years and then he but he wouldn't say 55 he would say 42 good years <laughs> and he would say 13 not so good years and, and i thought okay wow i wasn't expecting that either i wasn't expecting mm -hmm. so as we're coming near the end of our time i mean you've helped us a lot there's some of these things that we're looking at to see how to, to, to really get out of enemy mode, but you also mentioned refriending and you refer yeah. to that as well. Yeah. Um, help our audience to understand really what that is, not only to get out of enemy mode, but to refriend mm -hmm. as a spouse with your children, because I want to get my son out of enemy mode, but I don't think he wants to refriend unless I take him shopping. 
then he wants to re-friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just get him in the car. Get him in the car. In the house. Uh, uh, Go not play in, sports. Not in the morning. <laughs> and then he's talking. Because then he'll start talking. And then he begs for cheeseburgers and every fast food place we drive by. Hey, let's get that. And I'll say no. And he goes, <laughs> he gets more and more mad. That uh, refriending. So how do we go uh, refriending? Yes. Well, here's an interesting thing about a secure attachment, and it's a, and it's attachment you want to have for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And first of all, the idea that when something goes wrong, we unfriend people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes from social media. You know, it's like, right. okay, now they're off my list. Mm-hmm. And the the only problem is that pretty soon you you get relatives that are off your list because they wear the wrong color hat at the election or they got vaccinated or didn't or uh, mm-hmm. you know whatever the situation is, and we don't actually have a language for uh, you know what are we going to what are we going to do about it? Um, is it desirable? to go uh, through the life of your life, eliminating everybody that you end up having a disagreement with. And that's actually becoming quite a problem for the kids that were raised on the internet. Uh, and older people just unfriended people. And they didn't say anything about it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if you ever were the, not the first pastor in the church, you know, you come into a church and you realize after a while, there are a bunch of people here have unfriended each other. And they continue to come to church, but they haven't talked. Their families haven't talked in 37 years, you know, whatever it is. And that's the actual dynamics that keeps this place from growing or ever, you know, uh, you know, getting out of where they're stuck. So it, for one thing, it's, it's a language. Um, and, uh, you know, we used uh, refriending because we wrote the book, uh, on escaping enemy mode for a secular audience. It was a secular audience would be sensitive to Christians, but the problem is Christians are seen around the world as the people who unfriend people. They're the ones who get offended. They're the ones who can tell you everything about what's wrong with you. And they can't, can't, you know, get back together with you once they disagree with you about something, whether it's gender or, uh, you know, all, all those kinds of things that become, uh, end of a conversation now, you know, well, if you're that or you think this, uh, we're not going to talk. So, uh, what is it that we would actually be talking about? And that's refriending, uh, would be a secular word for it. Christian language for it is loving your enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, here's the funny thing, you know, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I was talking to a, a pastor in Germany, uh, about a month ago. I said, oh, I don't have any enemies. So um, I said, well, you know, when your brain thinks of someone as an enemy, here's what they do. They stop listening to them. They're no longer curious. They want to win the argument. They want to be right. They want to, oh, he said, I, I got a bunch of those. So loving your enemies doesn't communicate very well. Um, and then inevitably I said, but what if it's a real enemy? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was interesting to me. I just came back from Ukraine where I was teaching them with a trauma recovery and the Ukrainian Uh Christians were asking me, well, how are we going to love the Russians? And I was quite serious about it. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, as Christians, we have to figure out how to love the Russians. And uh, otherwise, we are not going to love our enemies. And this is, you know, and we don't feel like doing it. It's not an easy thing to do. So, you know, again, uh, most people don't think they have enemies. So since that's the case, we can't really use a term like, well, let's figure out how to love your enemy when it's actually your teenage son after, you know, you didn't give him a hamburger that's become the enemy, uh, which is how it usually works, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what do you feel like friends? Well, no. How about refriending? So now that's a bridge that makes more sense to us mentally to cross. Like, yeah, I got a lot of people that we, you know, we're no longer feeling like friends, even within mm-hmm. the family, you know, like, well, I love you, but I don't like you, you know, you're, yeah. I'm sort of stuck with you. So uh, how do we go about building that bridge? Because I, I actually think, uh, you know, Dallas Willard always used loving your enemies as the benchmark for how mature you were spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nice one because everyone fails. Um, but I've also come to the conclusion that it's the Christians in the parts of the world where you actually have to learn to love your enemies because your neighbor is trying to kill you because you're Christian that actually get better at it. Yeah. So again, this is refriending. How do I look at you and say, you know, there's something inside of you God must like. Beats me what it might be. Mm-hmm. But if I could get God's perspective on it, I could try to bring that out. And actually, let's look at it this way. We would never be enemies if we were the person God wanted us to be. Mm. Wow. Right? Yeah. Yep. So isn't exactly the time I am most motivated to want you to be the person God wants you to be when we're in enemy mode? When you're acting like my enemy, this is what it would mean the most to me if you were to become the person God wants you to be. And for me to be the person God wants me to be in your environment. Mm-hmm. So there's this, this sort of paradox built in that refriending is to find in you the part that God would say, that's, that's who I'm after. That's who I want to find. That's who I want to rescue. That's who I want to connect with. Uh, we can't connect with, feel like being with somebody else's sinful self usually. Like, you know, uh, why are we going to refriend that? But do I want to refriend what God's trying to find and grow in you? Uh, now, mm-hmm. there is something that would be worth finding again, because if we can keep going back to that, we can keep calling out from you who God wants you to be. And doing that's actually going to call out who God wants me to be, too, because I'm not necessarily going to feel like doing it all the time. So, mm-hmm. again, that's a way of talking about how do we find the part of you that uh, that God loves and remind you that this would be a really good time to be that, uh, that self, you know, that this is when it would be to both of our benefits and to God's pleasure uh, mm-hmm. to become who he, who he means us for us to be. So that's what we're trying to talk about with, with refriending there, trying to find a language um, that, you know, will get us thinking about it again. And, and frankly, that's why brain science works as well as it does. It gives Christians a different language to think about the same things that we're sort of like, we all, we understand that already. We know mm. uh, what that's like. So, so, so joy. Yes. Well, I know about joy. I heard that before. So, well, how about joy meaning uh, to the brain? It means we're glad to be together. Well, never thought about it in that way. I was just thought it was a feeling inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we rethink things that we would have, uh, you know, left on the shelf. And that's why I think it's fun to be a neurotheologian, just to get people thinking about 
stuff in a slightly new way, and maybe we can get a little more nutrition out of it if we chew it up that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a small story as you were describing all of that. Mm-hmm. I, we were actually, I was at an impasse with my son. This was about a year and a half ago. Um, there were like big emotions and stuff from us moving and, and all kinds of things. And we were, were not understanding each other at all. I mean, it was definitely an impasse. And in my frustration, I totally cried out to the Lord. I was like, I have no idea how to make this better. And please show me. And what was interesting, he didn't give me like strategies or words or anything, but all of a sudden I started seeing who my son was in all of these moments of like strength and courage and, um, and energy and all this stuff. And then I just started telling him, I'm like, this is who you are. This is how I see you. And, um, and his like countenance changed. And it was because of the move. There was a lot of stress with that. And I told him, I want who you are and who God made you to be, to be here, not just back in that other state. Mm -hmm. And that's when he was like, I don't know if I can do that. And then like the conversation started, but it was all like, God showed me identity, who he's made him to be. And as I just started talking about that, it wasn't anything about the previous argument and the words and the harshness. It changed it mm. completely. So that, yes, I didn't even know that's what re- was happening, but that's what happened. <laughs> best description of refriending I've ever heard. Oh, that's oh. great. That's great. She's all happy now. There were a lot of tears. A lot of tears. A lot of tears. Oh, yeah. Well, Jim, yeah. I know that time is limited for you, but I want to thank you for coming on Apollos Watered in this marriage and family yes. edition. <laughs> and we hope to have you back again to 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 continue the discussion, not just on enemy mode, but how how really our, our spiritual formation and what it t- how how the brain really impacts that. We need to understand, I think, a greater way. And we want to thank you for what the work that you're doing and helping so many people recover from trauma to grow in their relationship with Jesus to understand who God is in a greater way, and how really they might become those best people that God wants them to be. So again, thank you, Jim, for coming on the show. Uh, been a real delight to do that and uh, uh, yeah I'd love to come back again so <laughs> blessings to you and to all your listeners I love talking to Jim he's down to earth helpful and connects our everyday lives to our faith our closest relationships are the places where we can gain the most joy and frankly let's be honest the most pain. You know, the Bible says we're made for joy. I mean, brain science has actually revealed that, but the Bible's already talked about it. However, we all know that we can fall into bad patterns, bad ways of relating to those around us. But here's the deal. We don't have to. I don't have to, and you don't have to. I really do love the way, though, that brain science is helping us to understand some of the very things that the Bible talks about, but from a slightly different angle. To me, brain science is the exclamation point to what the Bible has already shown us. Sometimes we need a bit of reframing so that we can see it from a different angle and find a new way forward. Because honestly, we get caught in ways that are often negative and unhelpful. And we need to see a new way forward so that we can have that aha moment and move forward to be who God wants us to be. 
Jim's advice is not going to be a magic, magic bullet for your marriage. It's not. It's going to take work. Marriage is work, but it's, it's a rewarding work. We do have to understand ourselves. We also need to understand our spouses and our kids because it's in the relationships of family that we find some of our greatest struggles. And we have to actively work at it. A lot of what we talked about today was the best case scenario where everyone wants to get better. It's not perfect, but it is a start. We will have links to some of the other conversations with Jim, as well as some of those who have worked in that similar field, Chris Corsi, Michael Hendricks, Marcus Warner. And if you haven't listened or just want a refresher on what enemy mode is and how it works, I would recommend getting the book or go back and listen to the conversations I had with Jim about it. As you can tell, both Melissa and I are fans, and it really has helped us as a family. And I think it can help yours too. I want to thank you for listening to today's episode. And if you want to watch this or any of our other conversations, please go to our YouTube channel. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us through any of our social media pages. I want to thank our Apollos Watered team for watering the world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody. I know my number.